Oh yeah! Hope everyone has been doing alright. Welcome back to another episode of Beauty in the Breakdown, a podcast meant to lift you up and encourage you to build you up and to strengthen you and to allow you to think about God in ways maybe that you never have before. I took an extended break, short notice, didn't let anybody know I was going to do it. Not that it mattered. Um, it's like that big turtle in uh, Never Ending Story. But <laughs> Maybe that's a little blown out of proportion. Uh, but I, it's really difficult for me to do a podcast in the front of my house in the summer with the estrogen tribe in full effect. Dogs barking, kids walking behind me, everything going crazy while everyone's out of school. Well, today is their first day of school, and it is the first day that I've had the front of the house all to myself in a long while. Yes, yes, please try to hold your applause. I am thankful for this peace and quiet. I know most parents are this time of year. You could just see the moms taking the kids to school, walking past my house with a look on their face like, you know, some of them are like really enjoying it, but you can see the big smile on their face as they are walking back home, knowing that nine months of straight up solitude in the mornings are going to be amazing. So all that being said, I have had a very interesting summer. I have stepped back, reevaluated, learned, and wept, and been cautiously aware of my surroundings, uh, meaning that I don't know what it is about turning 40, but I'm 44, but it's like the minute I turned 40, my eyes went to complete crap. Um... I can't see. My hearing's going pretty well, but I know what that's from. That's from being around all the rock and roll and the DJing and the punk rock and the metal and, you know, consistently having loud earbuds in and all that stuff. You know, I really don't treat my hearing all that well. I do now. I treat it a lot better. But, you know, the the, the vision thing is just like, oh, my God, I'm going blind. What's next? I'm going to need a diaper. So, um... Yeah, there's that. And there's also the thing where you turn 40 and I don't know, it, it sucks to lose people when you're young and that happens. Accidents happen. Uh, kids OD. Um, I came out of a rave culture where people were just popping pills left and right. And, you know, a lot of them died. And I wonder myself every day and especially over the last few days, uh, how in the hell am I still alive um, throughout all of the addictions and all of the things that I have, you know, taken in and done to my body? It is amazing that I'm still going and I'm outliving some folks. Um, I wanted to start this episode off talking about some things that have happened to me and to others over the past few months. Um, over the course of the summer, 
Some people have gotten sick. Some people have had some medical emergencies and some life changes have taken place. And I've really, like I said, have stepped back and tried to reevaluate myself and weigh out things that are important and stressful or, you know, a dead end circumstance um, that, you know, I got to get rid of or, you know, trim the fat or, you know, be there for somebody, you know, I've had some, I've had some close friends that have uh, messaged me over the summer and that I've been in contact with that have seriously fallen off the wagon into a deep depression. Um, and it, to be honest with you, it's so deep that they seemed like a completely different person, scary to others. And, um, you know, nightmarishly, you know, presenting themselves as someone that they clearly are not, um, because of alcohol. Um, I lost a friend come to find out, uh, this is not alcohol related, but I lost a friend, uh, turned out they passed away in June and I found out in July and, they kept it super quiet for a long time because of the condition I'm guessing and, and the, um, the strain on the family. Uh, but this person had passed away, um, had suffered a stroke and had given permission, um, to end the life, uh, because they just couldn't go forward. This person was a mentor to me. Um, and a just up there on the pedestal of talent as far as electronic music and DJs go. Um, it was the first person that I ever got to see perform up close DJing. And at the time I had started going to raves back in like 19 or late 1996, 97. Uh, I was infatuated with the music. Uh, it was a good life change for me. Um, and I wanted to be the guy up there pressing the buttons while everybody was in the dark corners doing drugs. I was always running to the other side of the club to go see, you know, what kind of mixers they had, what kind of turntables and what were, what were they doing with their hands and how were they, how were they doing everything? You know, some people really just take hot dumps all over DJs and people that make electronic music and the people that do that, they have no idea what it takes to make that music. They have no idea what it takes to construct a track on your computer and play all the instruments yourself. And they're like, well, uh, the, the instruments ain't real. It's in the computer. Well, you still have to know what you're doing and you still have to track stuff out. And then once your stuff's tracked out, you moron, you still have to EQ everything. And then there's a whole different field of EQing and compression and tricks to do in your software. And people that just automatically crap on that are the same type of people that say, we don't need those people in America that don't speak English. Get out of here. Your country's full. Like that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, you know, morons. Complete morons. And it's okay to say that people are morons. It's okay to say that people are idiots because it's everywhere. And I'm quite moronic at times, and I can be an idiot. And that just means that I'm uninformed. And I'm just like, holy moly, you know. But anyway, going back to uh, this guy, his name was Met, and he was my all-time favorite DJ. 
and we had some events together. We had during quarantine, uh, met and I, um, we're on a record together. We uh, pressed a 12-inch record with two sets, two DJ sets, uh, his on one side and mine on the other, sold out in minutes. Um, he just did a small batch, but it was quite overwhelming the amount of um, messages and encouragement that we got from people, and people loved it. And then um, Met had a thing called Kings of Separation. Um, Met was uh, not... A Christian, by the way, and this is kind of a you know a Christian podcast. Um, but I love Met, and I don't care like what he stood for, the kind of person that he was. A lot of people might not like it, and a lot of people might not agree with it. But um, he was a giant man, and he had a husband, and he was a talented, beautiful person. And I just love the guy and I loved his taste in music. And the only taste in music that he had that I just could not wrap my finger around was this Japanese anime stuff. Um, but still, it doesn't suck. It just It's just not something that I would ride around in the car and I would just like, hey, let's turn this all the way up to 11, you know? It's just not, it's just not my thing. Um, but his record collection was amazing. He had this... Um, knowledge for fixing up vintage audio equipment and it just blew my mind the patience and everything that he had he would always have these gloves on these q-tips and some of his pictures and i was just like wow what is this guy doing now you know um and i just wanted to to honor him and talk about him and keep his memory alive and his uh his husband jason um just a quiet dude. I haven't talked to him all that much, um, but he's always just been the love of his life and a dear friend to him. And it just opened up this avenue of love in Met's life and made Met be the best that Met could be. And Jason, if you're listening to this podcast, I love you and I applaud you for the love that you gave him that he echoed out to everybody else. Um, I love you, man, and um, I'm so sorry, and uh, it was an extremely difficult time to mourn for Met, and um, man, those cry spells just crept up on me, and uh, I know it did for a lot of us friends in the EDM community. We love Met dearly, and we hold him the highest of high. He's our hero, and it's amazing what he did for our ears and our hearts to be able to enjoy. Um, my stepdad over the summer suffered. I don't know if it's strokes. I don't know what's going on, but it's a lot. And he's, he just turned 89. My mom is having a hard time dealing with it because everywhere that my mom goes before my stepdad went into the hospital, uh, everywhere they went, my mom is having to flag people down to help get his little cart out of the car or something. And they're just at an age where they, they know they need help, but they will not pursue it. And unfortunately, it has come to a point where I don't think they have any other option. Um, my stepdad has been in the hospital 
since I believe the last week of June. They moved him from Lexington Hospital here in Columbia, South Carolina to a place called NHC, National Healthcare, where he has some rehabilitation, some physical therapy, get his knees and his joints and everything moving, but he needs to go home. Um, the place is cool, but I think he just needs to be home now. They have a stair chair installed so he won't fall. Um, and my mom took a tumble and it scared the family. Um, she, she's had some really hard times, uh, venting to me on the phone and just, it's, it's so much for her to deal with. Um, and I love my parents. That man, even though he's technically not my real father, he's been around more for me since I was at least in 11th grade whenever he started hanging around more, um, whenever my mom and him started dating. And they, they dated a long time before they had gotten married, and they was living in sin. Um, but uh, they're just beautiful together, and they belong together, and they... They really do feed each other a real love. Even through their imperfections, they stick it out and they and they weigh it out and they're good for each other. And seeing my mom brokenhearted because she knows her husband is just aging and, you know, it's he's 89. But there's a peace about it and there's a stability about it because their love has just proven itself. And so I, through, throughout all the struggle and throughout all the differences and throughout all the imperfections and throughout all the joy and the good times that they have had, this is totally worth it to be able to have the family around so that, you know, we can be there together and we can be there for them. And that's been going on and it has been taking up um, a lot of time and a lot of mental awareness and a lot of a lot of strain and strength and just oh man just a a real heavy mixed bag of emotions on top of that i left my band i've been working at this band and for this band and all about this band since 2015 we had one shattering we had a breakup uh i think around 2018 2019 um because roger had some issues left the band and i tried to keep it going while we had um another band going called the black iron gathering but when soda city riot was going through some turmoil internally I just couldn't do it anymore. And so we disbanded. And so then we had gotten back together. Um, and it was me, Chris, Eric, and Roger. And we had all talked. We went to a restaurant, sat down at the table, and we talked about the needs, wants, desires to see if we can get it going beyond that point, which we clearly all made agreements. And then we moved forward. And I can't deal with that band alone that's something if if you're going to do something and be in a band with a group of people everyone needs to have a part and to do things to help each other out and over time because of addictions 
strain in relationships, um, alcohol. Um, we had to let some people go. Um, and then we ended up getting two new members, which were Travis and Alex. And so Roger, Eric, and I were there. Then Eric got sick and stepped out. So we got my buddy Matt to come sub in. All this after, um, we got put on a record label that seemed to be good, and it clearly was not. The guy did not know what he was doing, and the echo chamber for this record label was just disastrous. And so we bailed out of that after only one release. The dude only sent us like, like a box of CDs, and it was a joke. And so we were just like, all right, so let's just take these CDs and sell them for what we can get and then move on and, you know, renounce that label. And so we, we stuck together for a good bit, ended up getting a van. Uh, we ended up doing digital meetings. Um, and cause two guys moved away. Roger moved to Charleston. Alex moved because of his job. He went to Bluffton um, he was originally living in Charleston, but um, we ended up getting a van. We bought the van in December, and the deal was is that if we could just get the van, and then I'll get the van, and then if I need your help making it road ready, the van sat there for months and months and months. It wasn't really a financial burden because of the loan and everything. We I got a good deal on it, but... No one, I just needed the help to make it road ready. Like I had a welder in the band, you know, I'm a contractor and like, we just needed to do things to get, get it ready. We couldn't find the seat cleats or whatever. So we were talking about, you know, welding the seats in and like doing some cool stuff. And that was going to be our mode of transportation. So things started to, you know, really tighten up around that area for me. And that van just sat there while other people were trying to make goals for the band. And then we had nowhere to get anywhere because the van was just sitting there and no one would ride in it because it was unsafe. And the only two seats were the front seats that were stable. So that sat there. And so, you know, logic, logistically speaking to me, it's, you know, sell the van, watch the dominoes fall. So, we go to New York, we play some good shows, and then I come home and I start making suggestions for the van. And people are like, cancel shows if we can't get there. And I'm just like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to bail. I'm going to take it. I'm going to sell it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bail out. So I did. And that's, that's basically why I got out. Um, there are some differences of opinion that have happened. And there are things that are just... Um, you know, we're all on speaking terms, but I I was starting to have to do things by myself again. I had a couple dudes, you know, one dude was managing the money. One dude was doing the uh, social media and marketing and, you know, they backed off. They said, this is a full-time job. I can't do this alone. And I was just like, well, that's why I kind of suggested that we all swap places and do things from time to time so that avoids burnout. But when someone quits and doesn't want to do it anymore, then it's, you know, it's hard to get them back on where they were. The numbers went way up and we were getting views, listens and all kinds of stuff. And then it just stopped. And when it stopped, we started to address it without any anger. 
But that's why I left. I'm not a quitter. I've pushed and pushed and pushed and tried to get it to work. And um, it just, you know, I just couldn't do it. Something in me was telling me to go. Stop and go. That being said, I miss those guys every day. And it's that was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. Um, and I love that band. It was my baby. And that was some pretty hard stuff. I knew um, once Eric, our drummer, got sick back in February and I had to get someone else in there, I knew a burnout phase was coming. And the person that kind of came in with us, um, it was fun for a little bit, but I don't know, man. They weren't very positive on a lot of things. And it drained us, you know, it drained us of our optimism. And it grew from there in a, in a very dark way for me. And it, it wasn't helpful. And um, I know we aren't perfect and that person's not perfect either. So it was just, I appreciate their help very much. And he was just an amazing musician and we had some good times. Um, but um, something in me was just saying go. So I just, I just went with it. And now that I don't have that stress on me, it's a lot better, but I do miss it. I do miss it a lot. And everyone involved is just an amazing person. And it was good friendships. So immediately following all of that, um, had a friend have a heart attack. Um, now I haven't seen him, but I've been talking with him. Um, and it's a friend in the EDM thing. And uh, it pretty much shook everybody pretty hardcore. And... Um, Everyone loves this dude. He works really, really hard at promoting music and his genuine love for folks is great. He has these parties over at his house and he's a wonderful host and a good dad and he's a hardworking guy. And um, that was kind of a very scary moment for a little bit. Um, and I think that he's going to be okay. I think he's almost back at it, probably going to hit, Go back to work next week and uh, back to the grind and live in life. Um, I hope that some changes are made because when people have life scares, um, something inside of them wakes up and they can see things and they, they value life differently. Um, going back to one of my bandmates, um, I believe right after July 4th, um, our bass player, um, got T-boned pulling out from a subway or something right by his work. And it was kind of his fault. I guess the term term was kind of sharp, but this car comes around the corner at 60 miles an hour and T-bones his truck, his truck, his Silverado truck, big truck, not a small truck flips the car twice car lands upside down travis said that when he was flipping and he saw the sky roll through his windshield that his whole life and his family and 
everything just flashed right before his eyes and he knew everything that was important to him in that little short span of time. I listened to the man cry on the phone when he was telling me about this. I didn't know Travis could cry. But um, yeah, man, I mean, it's just eye-opening, surreal beauty that comes in these moments. And he knew God was real. He knew how genuinely real his love for his family was. He said that when he, I, believe, I may misquote this, but he said that when he was watching the sky roll through his windshield, outside of his windshield, that he felt like he was in the hand of God. He said he felt warm and protected. And the only injury that he got was when the truck was upside down and he detached himself from the seatbelt, unbuckled himself from the seatbelt, and he fell to the roof of the car. That was the only time he got hurt. And then he had to kick out the window, and the people were already outside of the car from the other car on the side of the road sitting there. And I think they were okay. They went to the hospital for just some minor stuff. But everyone was okay. And talk about me using humor as a coping mechanism. I think the first thing that I told him when I got on the phone with him, I said, Travis, you're not supposed to drive your truck upside down. <sighs> Timing is everything. Eh? And then there's another thing. Ugh. My buddy, Charlie, who I love and is one of the most beautiful people in my life. One of the most beautiful, dirty people I have ever known. I love the boy, but law days a dirty boy. He's a mechanic, and he, he smells like gas and grease and sweat. And he's a big old boy with a big old heart, and I love him. He's the banjo player that is just the best. He's the best. I introduced Charlie to a girl that I've known for a long time. I cannot remember how I met Miwa, but I introduced them like a little over a decade ago or maybe a decade ago. Um, and Charlie was super lonely and he's such a good dude. And he tried being with a couple of people before that. And it just didn't work really quick, you know, ins and outs, datings and, you know, hanging out with people, but it just didn't click. And so I just had a, I just had a gut feeling one day to introduce him to Miwa. Uh, the minute that they met, uh, they talked and within minutes, I believe he asked her out and, um, they've been with each other ever since they have not gotten married. Um, cause they don't have to, um, they have loved each other, supported each other, laughed together, been together, cried together. Um, they go everywhere together. Charlie and Miwa are like my parents, Ozzie and Harriet. Yes, that's their real names. And they're inseparable. The other day, um, uh, 
Miwa suffered a brain hemorrhage on her brain stem and had a stroke. And she said she wasn't feeling well at work. Um, they let her go after she was, you know, vomiting in the bathroom and not feeling good, had a really bad headache. So she comes home. I guess she kind of crashed out in her car with the door open and her, her um, nephew or her uncle, I'm sorry if I'm getting it mixed up, found her in her car asleep. So they woke her up and I said, Miwa, come inside, you know, let's, let's get you in your room. So somehow sometime between her being in her room and then 12 noon between six in the morning, between 12 noon, she was found unresponsive and they took her to the hospital and she's in a, um, she's in a comatose state. She had brain surgery and this is very serious. My heart is absolutely broken for Charlie seeing him like that. This is the person that he loves the most and he is shaken and devastated and hurt and he's angry and he's, he's filled with joy at the same time because he loves her so much. And the, the wave of emotion that overtakes him is beyond anything that I've ever seen him go through. I wish that I could have been friends with this man whenever I lost my daughter because he's a beautiful soul. And Miwa loves people and she is filled with joy, strong, sober-minded, loving, and so filled with a selfless desire for others. And I watched that man sit by her bedside and hold on to her where he could because she's just, you know, got IVs and wires everywhere. And he was telling her to please wake up. Please wake up. We'll go anywhere you want. I'll sell the house. We'll go anywhere. He's not leaving the hospital until Miwa leaves the hospital. That's real love. Unconditional, beautiful, real, rich, genuine love. The two of them have a story. They're always going to have a story. They brought joy to each other. Met and his husband, Jason, brought real joy to each other. They made each other the best that each other could be. My parents do that for each other. They make each other the best. Even throughout all of the imperfections that we all carry with us, there is something out there that makes us who we are. Whether it is seen or it is unseen. And I just wanted to put the God factor into this. I wanted to do it in a way that doesn't seem like I'm pointing a finger. I wanted to do it in a way because we, as I believe, are surrounded and are sitting in the middle of a creation that is so beautiful and allows us to actually be who we are. And if we tap into it and have faith in it, 
it operates in us and allows us to love because what created us is love. I think because I have experienced losing someone that is very dear to me who wasn't even seven years old showed me every single angle that I see in every single one of these stories. It's what real love is and that it, it exists in ways that we can't see it because it's forever forming and creating and making and moving and feeling. And I think what real love is, is something that each of us can operate in, in its own original way. And it makes things beautiful for others to be able to experience, to have life changes or to help someone out of a rut or to get someone out of addiction or to stop someone from thinking and behaving a certain way or to allow someone to hear how they loved someone and apply it to their relationship and make them okay because it was all that someone else needed. Hate does the same thing, but it just destroys. It robs you and kills you of anything that you can hope for. Hate, no good. Love, good. I believe the last concert, Miwa loved concerts. And her taste in music is just so, such a wide span of everything, man. I mean, I cannot listen to the stuff that she does because, you know, it's like radio music to me. It's just, I get picky. It's just me. But Charlie, <laughs> Charlie loves her and took her to anything that she wanted to go see. Bon Jovi. Um, Avenged Sevenfold. Backstreet Boys, Yanni, whatever. He took her everywhere because she just loved it. She loved life. We're hoping that she pulls through this. There's a lot of outcomes and a lot of things that aren't looking good. And it's scary. And he's scared. The last concert that Charlie took her to see was Foreigner. And you know who Foreigner is. I wanted to pay tribute on this show to all of these people that I mentioned. Whether some are still living and some have passed. And some, we don't know the outcome. But what is evident here is that all these people realized a true genuine love in a moment. And the value of that love is so much more important than turning and hating other people and being angry all the time. Life isn't worth being scared and hating and being so overwhelmed by everything that is continuously forced down our throats. We live in a way that is just so overcome by hatred and depression and anxiety when love and true genuine companionship 
is right at our fingertips. We are surrounded by God's goodness and his grace and his love. It's right at our fingertips. It is up to us to choose what we do with it. I wanted to end the show with this song because Miwa loves this song, Charlie loves this song, and this is the last concert that they went to together. And I wanted to pay tribute to everybody that I mentioned on this show today with this song because I've never actually sat and paid attention to the lyrics before. And now, oh boy, my ears are super perked up. So until next time, peace be with you. And you all enjoy this classic timeless song. Like love is finally found